like I said, I, it's all about supply. Mm. Every car that Neo makes, they are going to sell. The, every unit of supply will have a unit of demand. That is 100% true. So now it's all, it, it's an optimization problem surrounding units of supply. How can they optimize that supply? Um, on the demand side, I do like the fact that they've expanded successfully into Europe and from reports that I'm reading are selling very strongly in Europe. I'm seeing murmurs uh, based on LinkedIn job hirings and some reports that they're looking to get into America. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how was your long weekend? Uh, the long weekend was good. Spent a lot of time researching. Uh, stocks had their best week since November 2020. Last week, um, some of our stocks had uh, enormous weeks, especially on Thursday and Friday to, to finish off things. Uh, Things are starting to feel a bit different. We've seen big rallies before. This one feels different. So I spent the weekend researching and looking into all the drivers of the stock market rebound to see if it's legit or a head fake. And um, we'll talk about which one it is over the next hour. But uh, spoiler alert, um, I'm pretty bullish. <laughs> well, definitely looking forward to getting that in just a few moments. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get hypergrowth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator and lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Ton of things to cover, so let's dive right in. Um, Luke, last week you gave us an update with uh, Lucid Motors, um, but one of the companies in the EV sector that we talk about a lot that we haven't checked in on for a few weeks is NEO. Um, essentially, a lot, a lot of it having to do with some of the lockdown situation in China. Uh, can you discuss any news or updates since we last talked about them in the last month or so? Right. So I think the context here is that electric vehicle production is very dependent upon uh, supply chains being normal. When supply chains are good, these companies can make a lot of cars and they can sell a lot of cars. Demand is not the problem in the electric vehicle industry. Every car these companies, especially the good ones like Neo and Lucid, uh, can make, they will sell. Demand is always going to be there. Every unit of supply will be made with a unit of demand for the foreseeable future. So the question mark becomes on how many units of supply can these car makers produce. And throughout 2021, that supply constraints were really limiting the units of supply these these companies could produce and that weighed on their stocks. And that's continued in 2022. And with respect to NEO, it's actually accelerated in 2022 because of the lockdowns over in China. Um, but there's now good news on that front. So Shanghai is moving to end what has been a two-month lockdown in that city. It appears COVID restrictions are very dramatically easing uh, off in China. So it does look like maybe they go back into a lockdown in the summer or maybe in the fall. But any lockdowns that do emerge in China are going to be very short and not all that intense or restrictive. So I think the market is now digesting this reality that the, the, any future lockdowns in China will not be a major deterrent to production of anything, but specifically production of electric vehicles. So Neo stock is catching a bid on that. All the Chinese EV stocks are catching a bid on that. All EV stocks in general are catching a bid on that. And I think bigger picture, if you kind of zoom out there, uh, the COVID lockdown situation in China was the last domino to fall, if you will, of supply chains rapidly improving. Across the globe, supply chains are improving. The COVID-induced supply chain disruptions of 2020 and 2021 are gradually improving in 2022. And I can give you a firsthand example of this. My wife and I tried to do furniture shopping in 2021. Mm -hmm. Every place we went to, regardless of the store, was a two-month, three-month, four-month, sometimes up to six-month uh, 
backlog for us to if we ordered the piece that day it wasn't going to show up in our home for up to six months i mean it deterred us so much from shopping that we just said forget about it like this is ridiculous you know six months to get a, a couch or six months to get a table a coffee table uh, uh-uh not, not for us um we recently decided to roll the dice again and, and do you know go out and do some window shopping for furniture and this past weekend, actually it was two weekends ago when we went, not Memorial Day weekend, but the weekend before that, we were shocked. We were asking, okay, well, you know, this list looks great. Well, how long is it going to take? What are you, you know, two, three months out? And everywhere we went, they were saying, no, we can actually get these in, in three to four weeks for you or two to three weeks or in some cases, four or five days. So we started to see these furniture supply chains or these furniture backlogs that were deterring us from buying now becoming much more reasonable and pre-COVID normal, pre-COVID normal levels. So we're seeing that normalization play out. The China COVID situation was kind of the last domino to fall. If that domino falls and it is falling as we speak, then supply chains globally should rapidly improve throughout the year that'll dramatically help neo stock that'll dramatically help all electric vehicle stocks and it'll dramatically help all stocks in general because if you think about it uh supply chains improve means supply goes up supply goes up that is a deflationary driver the inflationary problems we've been seeing should decelerate that means yields go lower that means stocks go higher so this is a very important situation to monitor and one that i'm getting pretty constructive on based on what i'm seeing in the market what i'm seeing in the data what i'm reading in the news supply chains across the world are getting better they're going to keep getting better as they do inflation is is going to become less and less of a problem now why won't potential future lockdowns uh have the same dramatic effect that we've seen in the past when neo had to shut down for you know weeks at a time What's going to be? You said that you know future future potential yeah. lockdowns aren't yeah, going to I mean, affect this. Yeah, there's a lot of it's not 2020, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all the Chinese consumers, citizens, they have access to the internet. They have Weibo. They have these websites. They know that COVID nineteen is not a, a serious enough disease illness to warrant stopping the economy Mm -hmm. um they're well aware of that there's been a lot of citizen pushback to the lockdowns the chinese government is aware of it in the sense that they don't want their economic expansion to be hampered significantly at a time when everybody else's economy is you know back to normal or back to quasi-normal levels so um a lot has changed the context has changed the dynamics have changed and as a result the chinese government can no longer um institute harsh prolonged lockdowns because the citizens are going to push back and their economy is going to get hit hard and it's going to significantly disadvantage them so uh yeah i do not think that these lockdowns are going to be serious in any nature um going forward and the current one is is ending so i think we're going to get a you know a multi-week if not multi-month stretch here of normal china operations maybe we get another lockdown in the fall that's when you know diseases start to spread a little bit more quickly but i think that lockdown will be much like this lockdown one two months kind of hot spots all over and then you know reopen back up right after that so i don't think that covid19 uh lockdowns in china are a risk that the market needs to monitor anymore i think we've kind of moved past that so are there any other factors that are affecting neo for good or worse right now aside from covid lockdowns holy moly aaron i'm sorry i just looked over at my uh <laughs> my little uh i monitor over here and um Fun fact, the NASDAQ was down about 1.5% at its low today, and now we're up 54 bips. So that's a very powerful 2% swing in the bullish direction. <laughs> Things think price action is looking good. Anyways, sorry, Aaron, repeat your question. No, all good, all good. It's good to know that you're monitoring the situation regardless of what you're doing. So, uh, what, was the, what was the question? Uh, uh, are there any other factors that are affecting Neo moving forward aside from the, the COVID uh, scenarios? No, I mean, like I said, it's all about supply. Mm-hmm. Every car that Neo makes, they are going to sell. The, every unit of supply will have a unit of demand. That is 100% true. So now it's all, it, it's an optimization problem surrounding units of supply. 
how can they optimize that supply um, on the demand side i do like the fact that they've expanded successfully into europe and from reports that i'm reading are selling very strongly in europe i'm seeing murmurs uh based on linkedin job hirings and some reports that they're looking to get into america so the story again i've said is 2022 is going to be the year of neo expanding into europe 2023 mm-hmm. is going to be the year of neo expanding into america mm-hmm. and so i think with that demand expansion if you get supply chain normalization continued supply chain normalization neo's looking at a probably two to three year runway here where sales growth will be tremendous margins should dramatically improve and the stock should work really well especially from its currently depressed levels so i really like where we are with neo stock where that can where that stock can go into 2023 2024 2025 i think you got a good runway here with that name so how does that expansion into the u.s affect uh a company like tesla again we've kind of separated lucid in the past as kind of that next high-end luxury model ev Neo and Tesla seem to be on the more level playing field with each other. How does Neo's expansion affect a company like Tesla? Yeah, not well, not mm-hmm. well. Excellent point. Excellent question, Aaron. Um, no, not well at all. And that's why we are not as constructively bullish on Tesla stock as we have been before. You know, we were bulls back when everybody was calling it a, a joke stock and everybody thought mm-hmm. it was going to go bankrupt several years ago. Uh, we were exceptionally bullish on it then. But now that we've become so elevated in the stock price, so bloated in the valuation and competition is really showing up for the first time ever. Um, Not as bullish on Tesla stock as we have been. I think it's foolish to bet against Tesla stock. It's Mm -hmm. foolish to bet against Elon Musk. It's foolish to bet against the engineering power they have over there. It's foolish to bet against their massive balance sheet. I think that's foolish, especially considering that it's not just a car company. They have the solar business. They have the energy storage business. They're doing lots of innovative things. Foolish to bet against them. But betting on them, right, there's this middle ground where you don't have to bet on them. You don't have to bet against them. They're kind of like just stuck in this neutral territory. That's where Tesla stock is for us right now. Um, with Lucid ramping production, with Rivian ramping production, with Neo considering an entry into the U.S., probably in 23 or 24, um, with Ford coming out with its electric cars, with GM coming out with it with its electric cars. On that note, I just read a Barron's report. Uh, mm-hmm. They just test drove the electric Hummer. Okay. And they said that it drove like a sports car but looked like a tank. And they said that that was their most enjoyable test drive above Lucid, above mm-hmm. any Tesla car, above the Ford F-150 Lightning, above everything. They ranked Hummer, electric Hummer, as number one. So what that goes to show you is that these traditional autos do know a thing or two about making cars. And that mm-hmm. means they do know a thing or two about making electric vehicles. So they're making pretty good electric vehicles. So with all this competition showing up at the same time, 2022, 2023, 2024, yes, the electric vehicle pie is growing, but Tesla's slice of it is going to shrink. That's probably going to show up adversely in revenue growth rates. And I think that unless the solar business and energy storage business can offset that, they're going to get slowing growth out of Tesla over the next three to four years. Not sure the valuation is priced for it. Again, doesn't mean the stock crashes. It's a fabulous company. Fabulous companies tend to have stocks that go up over time. But I think you can kind of wait and see with the stock here. Let's wait and see how the stock reacts to increased competition. And then let's get into it after it takes a hit on that increased competition and ride it higher on the next wave. But right now, it's kind of stuck in no man's land for us. All right. I guess then we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, One of the things that we didn't have to wait and see for is last week's uh, PCE numbers that came out. Um, How did you interpret the the numbers that came out? Uh, Very bullishly. Very Mm -hmm. bullishly. So let uh, let me pull up a chart for you. And we can do some screen sharing. Let's see here. Screen share. Share. Gosh, don't you love technology? (laughs) Can you pull it up for us right here? Yeah, so here's the the PC number. So PC, personal consumption expenditures, tracks the price of a basket of goods the U.S. consumer pays for. A lot of a lot of do. It's what the Fed watches for inflation. It's basically the inflation rate of the United States. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, the inflation rate of the United States decreased right here in November 2020. We went from 1.17% year over year to 1.11% year over year from October to November. And that was the last time the inflation rate decreased in the United States on a year over year basis. Throughout the final month of, final months of 2020, 
every month of 2021 and the first few months of 2022 the inflation rate increased every single month it was a record 16 straight months of accelerating inflation in the united states of america Mm -hmm. that hurts that adds up that's why stocks that's a big reason why stocks have been under pressure Mm -hmm. then you see right here we topped boom 6.61% 6.61% in March and then down to 6.27% in April. Okay. So we talked. For the first time in 16 months, the inflation rate in the United States dropped on a month-over-month basis. Okay. So that's big. Psychologically, it's huge. Yeah, it was a tiny little drop-off, but psychologically, it's massive. We've gone from consistently accelerating inflation to a top to decelerating inflation. Mm-hmm. Based on the trends I'm seeing, I think that deceleration persists. We've hit peak inflation. Now we go down. And I think okay. that's the consensus on Wall Street. A lot of people think that. But I believe the pace of the deceleration is going to shock a lot of people. It's going to mm-hmm. shock a lot of people. So actually, I'm going to pull up one more chart for us that I think is very, very interesting and something that I believe is worth sharing. So let me pull this up. So can we see this chart here? It is loading right now, but it lo- yep, we can see. Yep. All right. Okay. Sorry, it's not. Let me see if I can like open image a new tab maybe and that can be a bit bigger nope thought that would be bigger oh well that's fine (laughs) this is a measure of the year-over-year growth in the m2 money supply in the united states so m2 money supply uh technical definition is m1 m2 m3 different levels of money supply m2 is the one that is the most actionable money supply so just view that as the amount of money circulating in the u.s economy actionable money circulating in the u.s economy As you can see, during the past 20 years, we've averaged anywhere between 5% to 10% year-over-year growth in the M2 money supply, right? We kind of bounce around. Sometimes you break below. uh, Sometimes we kind of come up right to 10%. But that's where we've averaged for the past um, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Or 20 years, sorry. Now, in 2020, we spiked throughout all of 2020. We were above 20% Mm -hmm. because of all the money printing that went on, all that. And then throughout 2021, we were pretty much above um, 10%, right? We were, we were in the 10% plus range. Mm-hmm. But now here in 2022, we've fallen. I believe the last reading was around 8%. We've fallen back into the historically normal range of 5 to 10%. So the, this is a sign that demand is moderating. Okay. That the amount of money in the economy, the growth of that money is slowing to historically normal ranges. So for me, that means falling demand. Okay. Then you have rising supply based on the supply chain issues we just talked about, them getting better, them resolving uh, supply chains getting back to normal. So you have a situation where I think the stage is set for massive supply growth massive Mm -hmm. demand destruction that leads to very rapidly decelerating inflation i think we go from six percent to two percent in about 12 months and i think by the middle of 2023 second quarter of 2023 we're back to two percent or lower inflation rates Mm -hmm. that's important for stocks obviously because as Mm -hmm. we've gone from two percent to six percent inflation stocks have gone and they just crashed as we go from six percent to two percent inflation do the Mm -hmm. flip stocks are going to do the flip we're going to go we're going to soar stocks are going to soar so i think that not only is the inflation has we've reached peak inflation and that inflation is going to decelerate but it's going to decelerate more rapidly than the consensus expectations have priced in which is going to lead to upside price appreciation in stocks and all risk assets really so um, i'm really constructive in what i'm seeing on the inflation picture as well so essentially investors have a lot to look forward to in the next 12 months um in my opinion, yes. I, I think that the, the inflation situation is going to meaningfully improve. That has been the biggest bane of stocks over the past 12 months. As it becomes a tailwind, that's going to really help stocks move higher. So I do think the next 12 months could be pretty attractive. That's why I was researching all of, you know, throughout the long weekend to try and figure out, hey, 
the price action in the market is is saying something, but is that something a head fake or is that something something real? And I mm-hmm. think it's something real. I'm pretty sure it's something real because not only do you have inflation decelerating for the first time uh, since late 2020, but you also have the Fed is sounding a bit more dovish. They made a dovish pivot for the first time uh, since 2020 as well, right? They've mm-hmm. consistently sounded more hawkish essentially every meeting. And now the, the commentary shifted a little bit more dovish to a point where it's like, we're going to hike 50 in June, hike 50 in July, but then then we're going to maybe wait and see how the economy reacts to those to decide what we're going to do in September. That is a dovish pivot. That is a dovish surprise. So I think the Fed is now shifting policy a bit. Um, you're seeing valuations come down to levels that are much more reasonable and much more historically normal. So mm-hmm. you're starting to see a lot of things kind of come into play here where I think that the stage is set again for stocks to perform significantly better over the next 12 months than they have over the past 12 months. And I think it's going to be a a pretty big rally. Uh, Another trend that you kind of have been looking at over the last uh, few months that we've talked about here is Mm -hmm. insider buying. Um, According to you. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for bringing that up. It's it's continued at unprecedented levels. Is there anything new you want to share on that that contributes to this? Yeah, well, that's that's exactly um, another little research thing I can pull up here. Uh, yeah, there you go. I got the image right there. We'll share again. Lots of screen sharing this time, Aaron. Lots of screen sharing. <laughs> I'm glad we finally got it working. Yeah, indeed. All right, here's our here's our screen. Okay. Here's the insider buying, insider selling ratio. Buyers divided by sellers. The higher the ratio, the better it means insiders are buying. Uh, the lower the ratio, the worse means insiders are selling. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Look at that. Massive spike here. Mm-hmm. Massive spike in insider buying as stocks have come down mm-hmm. okay now we can say prima facie that is bullish because it means insiders are buying mm-hmm. but it's even more bullish when we look at what this means historically speaking let's see where we have these similar big spikes similar big spike here mm-hmm. march 2020 coincided with a stock market bottom after a stock market sell-off big spike here late 2018 coincided with the market bottom right after a market sell-off Big spike here, late 2015, coincided with the market bottom right after a market sell-off. Amazing. These insiders have an uncanny track record of calling market bottoms, and they're calling it again right now. So that is supremely bullish in my opinion mm-hmm. i mean insiders are the people you want to align with these are the ceos the coos the cfos the ctos the board members the big hedge funds that have 10 percent or more ownership these people know more about these stocks than any of us than all of us put together even okay they intimately know the day-to-day operation stuff that you and i cannot know mm-hmm. it would be illegal for us to know yeah. they're buying like crazy okay that's some that's a signal you want to follow not just historically speaking it, it, they call market bottoms that's bullish but just fundamentally speaking if those people are buying you want to be buying too you want to align yourself with the people who know most about the businesses and what they're doing they're buying so should you um so i'm really bullish on that insider buying trend it's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, and i think that's an insanely bullish indicator for stocks over the next 12 months are there is there any insider buying happening that you disagree with where you're like I don't see the future in this company I don't have that long term outlook that I do with most of the picks that I have. I'm I'm sorry Aaron you kind of broke up there. Right yeah no uh, so uh, my question my question to you is uh, are there any uh, companies that are doing insider buying that you don't have that same long term outlook that you're just like eh maybe it's just hype and. I'm not quite a fan of this. When it comes to the inside of buying, I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that exists. I, it's not what I focus on, so I can't really tell you for sure. Gotcha. Um, what, the chart I just showed you is macro level insider mm-hmm. buying. Just all yeah. the insider buying in the market. You know, they're consensusly saying that um, stocks are oversold, undervalued. It's time to buy. So that that on a, that's a macro call. On a micro basis, individual stock basis, I do pay attention to what they're buying, mm-hmm. but more so in a bullish sense. I'm looking for the non-head fakes. I'm looking for gotcha. the insider buying that matters, the insider buying that counts, where there's insider buying companies that I think have tremendous long-term value creation. And one of those companies that we've talked about a lot here um, is SoFi. Mm-hmm. Uh, SoFi CEO, who is a very, again, we've talked about it before. It seems like very, he's buy, he just keeps buying. <laughs> he, he's, he's buying. 
his, his thing is he's buying it pretty much in like two hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollar increments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he keeps buying on on oversold periods. He comes in and buys multiple two hundred fifty thousand dollar chunks. I mean, I think the number is he's bought about one over one point five million dollars worth of stock over the past mm-hmm. two months alone. Um, so yeah, he, he's coming in hard, and that's that's something that's super bullish for me because that's a company that has tremendous long term growth prospects. Um, the stock is severely undervalued. The student loan moratorium issue seems to be coming, you know, it's, it's going to pass within the next few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the $10,000 loan forgiveness and then boom, right back to payments. So it seems like that issue is, is, is moving into the rearview mirror. Um, yeah, and that in, the insider buying there is pretty meaningful. So I'm looking for situations like that where you have really solid companies with mm-hmm. great growth prospects, undervalued stocks, where there's insider buying, that's a situation I want to get into right now. It's not just insider buys, buy the stock. Mm-hmm. Insider buys, if it's a good stock, buy the stock. So mm-hmm. that's that's where we're at right now. And yeah, SoFi is one of those names that we're really excited about the insider buying trends there right now. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, the European Union uh, just announced uh, recently the Russian oil embargo. Um, how do you expect yep. this to impact energy prices moving forward? Um, again, it looks like oil prices are jumping on this news. Uh, we also have a relevant fan question from uh, Danny Long. Uh, another informative video, Aaron and Luke, year-to-date energy, oil and gas is doing quite well. Is it yep. too late to invest in energy for the rest of the third and fourth quarter of 2022? Thank you. Um, essentially, what's, what's the outlook for energy right now with this uh, ban on Russian, on Russian oil? Uh, yeah, great, great question. Um, is it too late to jump on energy and oil stocks for the third and fourth quarter? Probably not. These things tend to run in 12-month cycles. So if it's a, if it's a top-forming asset in 2022, it's probably going to be a top-forming asset for the second half of the year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think energy and oil can run higher, especially with the EU embargo on oil. 75% basically immediately comes offline. 90% um, by the end of the year comes offline. It's just going to get redirected into Asia. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like a, you know supply globally comes offline, but it's definitely going to create um, price pressure elevation in in certain economies, Europe, namely uh, America as well. So I think that the embargo sets the stage for oil to probably go up to 130 a barrel in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to be a spike. I think it's going to be a gradual rise, but I think we do get there. Um, that's the the short term outlook. The long term sure. outlook is if and when oil gets to 130, I am going short, 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 short. Mm-hmm. because this is a massive bubble forming in energy. This is a massive bubble forming in fossil fuels. This is a massive bubble forming in natural gas and oil. Um, and to illustrate why, yep. uh, let's do another screen share, shall we? <laughs> but we're, we're, all, we're all about the screen mm. shares. Absolutely. We're all about the screen shares. Okay, so here's, here's a chart from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, uh, mm-hmm. that basically graphs uh, world oil supply versus world oil demand. And that's what matters, right? What drives price, supply yeah. and demand. We okay. can talk about geopolitics. We can talk about all these other things. But at the end of the day, what drives price is supply and demand. Those things only matter to the extent that they impact supply or demand or both. Mm-hmm. So we can see that here we have – Normally, um, you know, 2010 through uh, 2020, we had excess supply in the market. Mm -hmm. Um, This is in tons, but you kind of do the reverse count or the the calculation into millions of barrels a day. The markets were oversupplied by about two to three to four millions of barrels per day uh, throughout 2010 and 2010s. Mm -hmm. Right now, it looks like we're kind of getting into a balance where it's zero millions of barrels per day of mm-hmm. oversupply um, or excess supply, and that's why you're getting um, the price spike that you're seeing. But the IEA is also coming out here and saying by 2030, this shift to electric vehicles alone is going to cause demand destruction of 5 million barrels per day uh, of oil. Okay. So you're going to get 5 million barrels per day coming offline in demand because of the shift to electric vehicles. Maybe you factor in more destruction from the shift to solar, hydrogen, wind, even nuclear. So just a broader energy shift. Net-net, I think you're talking about demand looking like it's around 100 million barrels per day today. I think it looks something like maybe... 90 to 95 millions of barrels per day by 2030 or by the back half of the 2020s. Mm -hmm. 
So you're looking at a, de- a demand picture of 90. On the supply side, you're looking at 100 right now. And there's been a lot of reports that you're going to get um, more supply coming online. People are going to increase production. There are more rigs coming online. So even if that doesn't happen and supply stays at 90 mm-hmm. or supply stays at 100, you're looking at demand at between 90 and 95. Let's call it 95 to be um, conservative. Let's look at 100 on supply. That means you're looking at a su- excess supply of five million barrels per day and we talked about the average throughout the 2010s was about two to three millions of barrels per day Mm -hmm. so we're going into a situation where you're going to have a bigger excess supply than what was averaged throughout the 2010s and if you actually do this graph next to the price of oil um, which we've done but i don't have it readily available for Mm -hmm. for you um you can see that excess that there is a direct correlation between excess supply and price Mm -hmm. so if we're going from an average of two and a half three millions of barrels per day in excess supply throughout the 2010s and prices were averaging 40 50 60 70 80 dollars a barrel Mm -hmm. and we're going to go into a market that has five million barrels of excess supply then that means the price in that market should be sub 40 yeah it should be twenty, thirty, forty dollars a barrel. We're at one thirty right now. Mm-hmm. So this kind of this rally that we're seeing is entirely unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And normally these rallies end in one kind of below the top off finale where mm-hmm. they have their final inning and everything goes crazy. The EU embargo on oil could produce that. We could see a shot up to one thirty, one forty. If that happens, immediately go short because it you're gonna see destruction in the price of oil from one thirty, one forty to probably about twenty or thirty dollars over the next five years. It's gonna be a massive wipeout. Energy stocks, natural gas stocks, oil stocks related to that are going to get destroyed I think that within the next three to six months is going to be a great time to enter a short position against oil. But mm-hmm. you need you need that one final blow your top off rally to mm-hmm. kind of signal the the peak euphoria in oil. And but I mean fundamentally, it's absolutely silly the prices are this high. Just fundamentally speaking, you're getting you're going to get massive demand destruction, mm-hmm. massive demand destruction, and it's going to be much more much bigger than what's anticipated and supply is not going to be able to come down in a way to balance the market so it's going to be ugly <laughs> and i would go short oil again within the next three to six months once you get your blow your top off rally to 130 or 140 on the on the uh the price of brent crude per barrel but it's a it's certainly a long-term boon for clean energy right uh, that's that's where the demand destruction comes from. That demand's yeah. got to go somewhere. Population growth is still a thing. Urbanization is still a thing. Energy needs are still going up. Uh, so it's not just the demand's coming offline and going nowhere. It's coming offline and shifting. Uh, and it's going to shift towards towards the clean energies. And I actually think this EU embargo on oil is going to be a huge accelerant for clean energies. Mm-hmm. I, Europe is the leader in hydrogen infrastructure, the leader in researching and developing hydrogen technologies. I think them cutting off Russian oil means they're ready to shift towards hydrogen. They're ready to shift towards solar. They're ready to shift towards wind. I think you're going to get a massive boom in European clean energy technologies over the next 12 months. And that's just going to parlay itself into a massive boom in the U.S. because the two are basically interconnected. Um, So I think, yeah, it's a huge tailwind for clean energy stocks, clean energy uh, technologies, all that stuff. Massively bullish there. I think, again, in the next three to six months, great time to go super long clean energy and super short fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. That pair trade, I think, is going to produce enormous profits over the next five years. So what do fossil fuels look like when this shift happens uh, in the energy sector? Do we see this kind of leveling off in 2030 where you know you have you know, 50-50 in gas, 50-50 EVs, and the prices for the general consumer are just you know, pretty equalized in both fronts? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a gradual shift. So EVs are going to go from there were 10% of sales in 2021. Uh, they're going to go to 15, 20, 25, 30. IEA is calling for 30% by 2030. We think it's more like 40 or 50% because mm-hmm. that's where automaker targets are. Mm-hmm. Um, all the automakers across the globe have targeted essentially 50% plus EV penetration by 2030. They're the ones that actually make the cars, not the governments yeah. so, or these research firms. So I think that I'm going to follow those targets the most. 
Um, I think we're looking at 50% electric vehicle penetration by 2021. I think solar, which is already accounting for more than half of uh, new energy installations in the United States every single year for the past several years, uh, by 2030, 90% plus of all new energy will be clean energy installations, if not 100%. So I think you're going to get this this gradual shift, but it's going to be much more quickly than a lot anticipate towards clean energies on all fronts. Uh, in terms of prices, that's actually going to mean lower energy costs for all consumers because, as we've talked about before, clean energies, solar, wind, hydrogen, electric vehicles, they have very positive learning rates. The more we learn about these things, the more efficiently we can produce them, the more economies of scale we can leverage, um, and the lower our component costs can be. So, And the more we can integrate automated manufacturing and different things like that to bring down production costs. So I think that energy costs are going to dramatically decrease for the consumer over the next several years because we're shifting towards energies that are renewable and where supply can be much more abundant than where it is in the um, in the fossil fuels market. So um, I think that's what the world looks like in 2030. Um, and it's going to be a much better world for for everybody because energy is going to be more abundant and much cheaper than what it is today. Um, and you're going to have a lot more energy independence. We've talked about this before. This whole idea of energy independence via fossil fuels is an illusion. Uh, not everybody has fossil fuels. Not everybody can achieve fossil fuel uh, energy independence. And that independence only lasts so long because there's only so much of that stuff in the ground. Uh, and if we go completely fossil fuel independent in the United States today, we're going to run out of fossil fuels by 2050, 2060, 2070, at which point we will become 100% reliant on Saudi Arabia or uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. Not a good situation. Yeah. So um, this really is a, a, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> It is so obvious what needs to happen, and it's it well, it's what will happen. Mm-hmm. So again, like I said, next three to six months, great time to go secular long, uh, clean energy, secular short, fossil fuels, and oil. Oil is going to, by the end of the decade, be destroyed. The price of oil will be absolutely destroyed. Mm. Well, talking a little bit about destruction, we talked a little bit last week about SNAP. We, had, we got some bearish news about it. Uh, and that basically kind of positioned you in the sense that a recession is no longer completely out of the question. Um, and I hear you're seeing some interesting data alongside insider buying that may suggest that stocks are being undervalued at these levels, um, specifically mm-hmm. the S&P multiple and, Morning, and Morningstar. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the insider buying, we've already we already touched on that. Mm-hmm. Insiders have a track record of calling market bottoms, and they're calling a market bottom today. So, good news. Um, Morningstar. We talk about Morningstar for a bit. Um, so morning. Let me do another screen share. <laughs> let me hear. Woo woo for screen shares. Um, so here we are on another screen share. Morningstar is a you know fundamental based research firm. They do. Uh, you know, they go through the market and they scan all these stocks and what is it, 809 stocks, something like that. And they give them a fair value ratings based on the fundamentals of that company. Mm-hmm. Anyways, as you can see here, this is the number of stocks in their coverage that have five star ratings. So okay. they rate every stock from one star to five star where one star is it's really overvalued and five stars is it's really undervalued based mm-hmm. on the fundamental analysis conducted by Morningstar. Look at that. The number of five-star stocks in the market today, according to Morningstar, is its highest since it's been uh, since or its highest has been since March 2020, mm-hmm. which coincided with a market bottom. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So here we have another similar spike. Boom. Correlates coincides with the market bottom. I think so. So that's the Morningstar data, and I think it's it's pretty bullish. Morningstar is basically coming out here and saying on an individual stock level, individual stock basis, stocks are as undervalued as they've been since the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic, which proved to be a tremendous single stock buying opportunity. Mm-hmm. History is repeating. I like it. Very bullish signal. I want to talk about the multiples, more screen sharing. So here's the uh, S&P 500's forward price to earnings multiple. 
The green line is its five-year average forward earnings multiple. Mm-hmm. The blue line is its twelve or its ten-year average forward earnings multiple. So, as you can see, there was a period of time throughout 2020 and 2021 where we were very overvalued on the index level. Okay. So you're talking about 21 times, 22 times. We got up to 23 times, above 23 times at one point forward earnings, uh, which versus a you know the five-year average is right around 18.7, 18.6. The 10-year average is right around 17 times. But we've collapsed. We collapsed below the five-year and now we're below the 10-year. So we're trading at around 16.8, 16.9 times forward earnings right now. That's below the 10-year average multiple. So on an index level, valuations have compressed to below their historical standards and in line with where we were throughout 2015, 2016, and, and 2017 in these in these uh, this range. So mm-hmm. That's a very bullish indicator. The same is true for what it's worth. Some people will say, hey, the forward estimates have to come down, so the forward P multiple doesn't mean anything. Okay, fine, I get that. That's cool. Let's look at the trailing one. So here we got the trailing 12-month P ratio for, for uh, five-year average and 10-year average. Mm-hmm. Look at this. We went way above the five-years and 10-year averages, and now we've come below both the five-year and 10-year averages. So on a trailing basis, we're right around eight, you know, uh, what is that, 18 times trailing earnings, uh, 10-year average is around 20. We are where we were back in, you know, 2015, 2016, around those levels. We're, you know, pretty close to where we bottomed in late 2018 valuations have reset on a forward and trailing basis so Mm -hmm. um what the two charts i just showed you broadly underscore is on a bottoms up basis on Mm -hmm. a top down basis no matter which way you look at it you're converging on the same conclusion stocks are undervalued they were overvalued they've reset and now they're at a point where they're ready to rally what you need for them to rally then is well what that means it doesn't mean they're going to turn around right away the valuation Mm -hmm. analysis we just did but what it means is that from current levels the forward growth prospects price appreciation potential is very attractive now what you need for the timing of the turnaround is for inflation to decelerate we just talked about it inflation is decelerating well the rebound continue that depends on the course of inflation which you already talked about Mm -hmm. supply is improving demand is being destroyed that means inflation is probably going to decelerate over the next several months so all of these stars are starting to align aaron and it's making me pretty bullish that the price action in the market we're seeing is not a head fake, but rather the first inning of what could be a generational market turnaround, Mm -hmm. uh, wherein stocks could power significantly higher over the next 12 months. And that rally will be led by the ones that got crushed the hardest over the previous 12 months. Mm -hmm. The hyper rate sensitive, um, tech growth stocks, long duration assets, risk on assets, those names have been crushed over the past several months, several quarters they're going to be the ones that lead the rally on the other side. So um, this is going to happen. The question mm-hmm. is whether or not it happens in the next 12 months or the 12 months after that or the 12 months after that. This turnaround is going to happen. It's a question of timing. The timing starting to look good. I'm getting pretty bullish. Are there any other signals that we can kind of look at that are that kind of are going to initiate this rally? You know, we were talking, we're talking about decelerating inflation. We're talking about, you know, uh, better supply demand, what is there going to be like some inciting incident or is it just going to be another grad a gradual rise oh uh, well, it, it's going to depend on the course of inflation and the fed's response to that inflation which we talked so about each week, so, okay yeah so we we, we got to look at the monthly cpi and pce prints normally okay. the cpi comes out first so mm-hmm. uh on days that those prints come out, if they are better than expected, those are going to be days that spark meaningful rallies in okay. the um, in the market. And then you got to look at the the Fed meetings. Um, you know, they have their two day meetings. They have one in June. They have one in July. They take August off. They go in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, first day they just meet. Second day they have the press conference. Those are going to be big days for the market. So there's pretty much I would say four dates you want to mark down over the next two months. Mm-hmm. Um, CPI June. Fed presser June, CPI July, Fed presser July. Uh, Those dates, if those kind of all point to slowing inflation and a more dovish sounding Fed, that creates a trajectory for stocks to to follow those data points and, and move meaningfully higher. 
Could you also tell us just a little bit about the Goldman Sachs hedge fund report recently released? The Goldman Sachs, uh, do, 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 do. Um, the hedge fund VIP report. Is that, yes. Yeah, I think as we're talking about. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's not not a lot to glean there. Um, basically, Goldman Sachs has this index that tracks the VIP hedge fund stocks, the very important hedge fund stocks. Those are the stocks that the hedge funds, the hedgies own the most. They buy the most. They're mm-hmm. most anchored around. Uh, and that portfolio of stocks has been crushed recently. Okay. Um, and it speaks to just how hedge funds have been crushed recently in this market chaos. And more broadly, it speaks to the fact that people were just over levered to the long tech trade. Um, not that that trade was wrong, but when anytime you get over levered, markets get over levered to a certain type of thing, they get overexposed to a certain asset, uh, you're due for some mean reversion, some normalization in that. We got that. And now I think that they've been crushed, that a lot of these hedge funds have been crushed, a lot of those VIP stocks have been crushed. Uh, that actually is a very contrarian bullish indicator to show us that, okay, Wipeouts happened, resets happened. Now let's let's get back to business. Let's get back to fundamentals and let's let's uh, let stocks go higher. So um, that's pretty much all there is to glean there. Not a terribly important print, um, but uh, a terribly important report. But definitely something that kind of adds this mountain of data we have going in the bullish direction right now. Gotcha. Um, shifting again. Uh, this actually kind of came up to me. I was actually, uh, you know, talking to a friend uh, at a wedding recently, telling him, you know, about our podcast and what we talk about. And one of the things he kind of uh, brought up to me was a topic that I haven't heard about in months, and that was uh, GameStop. And basically, okay. he's, he got super bullish on GameStop, not because of what happened in the past, but because of how they basically are leveraging what happened with their rally to basically shift their business dynamic. So they have a new CEO, they're having new initiatives within the NFT and metaverse, um, which basically kind of speaks to this kind of broader question that I have, which is, you know, there's a lot of chatter on how these meme stocks are kind of leveraging that continuing community momentum and fundraising to bring about real changes. Can you talk about how you view this and if this is all hype or if this, there's some you know strategy behind uh some of these meme stocks and what they're doing with their community involvement okay yeah sure um definitely there it, it's not hype i mean the strategy is okay we generated this hype and now we're gonna leverage this hype to raise capital attract talent and try to turn the business around mm-hmm. um, that's definitely the strategy um and it's the best strategy for those companies if I were the head of uh, GameStop, the chairman of the board, or the chairman of the board at AMC, that, that's exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be playing right into the retail trader's hands. I'd be leveraging the frenzy and the momentum. I'd be issuing share sales. I'd be raising a bunch of capital. I'd be attracting new talent, and I would try to turn the ship around. It's still a very tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Turnarounds are very hard to execute, especially when you're GameStop and AMC. Okay. Um, what is the GameStop play? Uh, try to make NFT marketplaces, sell video games online, all that stuff. Okay, that's cool. But there are a lot of players in those industries. Um, cloud gaming has proved to be quite a dud mm-hmm. recently. A lot of the big tech companies launched cloud gaming platforms to a lot of hype, and they've had, you know, the follow through has been very weak. The reception has been very weak. All the gamer friends I talk to are very disappointed by those cloud gaming platforms. So, any cloud gaming dreams that GameStop has, I think, are pipeline dreams. If Microsoft can't pull it off, GameStop's not going to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFT game, okay, that that's interesting. Create NFT marketplaces. I love NFTs. I think there's a big future there, but is the timing right for that right now? Is the market really ready for NFTs? The NFT market is absolutely crashing. Sales are down, I think, what is this, the stat, 98% um, from their peak um, and not showing any signs of recovery. Cryptos are having a tough time right now. The world's concerned about energy prices. The world's concerned about a war. The world's concerned about uh, food inflation. Uh, the world's not really concerned about NFTs and little buzzy drawings right now. So I don't think that the timing is right for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I also believe even if the timing were right, a very competitive marketplace. A lot of people are getting into NFTs. It seems like everybody is getting into NFT these, NFTs these days. So mm-hmm. that creates a lot of competition. Um, what is AMC doing? Okay, there's still a movie theater chain, and movie theaters are kind of they're doing all right. 
uh, post-COVID bounce. But the post-COVID bounce has been much weaker than I would have expected. I thought it was going to be a bigger bounce based on the pent-up demand. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still seeing streaming take a lot of share of viewing time based on the Nielsen reports that, that I look at every week. Um, and, you know, they're trying to accept cryptos and kind of play into that crypto crowd. And that's cool. But again, tough uphill battle here. So, yes, these companies are doing what they should be doing. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're going to succeed. It, it doesn't mean they're going to succeed. And I think it's going to be a very – I'm not ruling them out. Mm-hmm. They absolutely could turn these things around. But it's going to be very hard. And to bet on it is a wild card bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if they succeed. I would not give them a greater, 50%, greater than 50% chance of succeeding. Mm-hmm. If they do, I will tip my hat and applaud them and say, fantastic <laughs> job, good for you. I love it when that stuff happens. That makes me super excited. But mm-hmm. uh, right now, as an investor, as an investment analyst, I don't see the risk-reward in those stocks really making a lot of sense. Um, and so I, I continue to avoid them. And another aspect of it is the valuations are, are pretty bloated. I mean, GameStop, let me check. It's a, what, it's a, t- it's a $10 billion company, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's going to do $6 billion in sales this year. So that's only like a 1.7 times sales multiple. But it's going to lose five and a half bucks in earnings per share. It's going to lose another three next year. So, I mean, that $125 stock price doesn't make you know a tremendous amount of sense you look mm-hmm. over at amc um and what's the market cap there so i had to reference these things because i don't look at these companies no no of all. course yeah yeah um there there's seven and a half billion on the market cap over there and what are they going to do in, in revenues this year they're going to do 4.5 billion so 1.6 time 1.7 times forward sales on that but again stock, going to lose money this year, going to lose money next year, going to lose money in 24, going to lose money in 25 uh, based on the consensus analyst estimates. So you got a 1.7 times sales multiple for a company that isn't growing very quickly and is Mm going to lose money for a long time. So what I'm saying is that baked into these valuations of these meme stocks that are executing the right strategy is a high probability of success. Mm -hmm. I don't think that valuation calculus makes sense. So if those stocks were to come down mm-hmm. and the implied probability of success move below 50%, then I'd be interested in them because then the risk reward starts to make sense. But at current levels, the risk reward doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So despite these companies executing the right strategy, um, I continue to just avoid those stocks. I think there are simply a lot better opportunities in the market right now. Does being a quote-unquote meme stock help or hurt in in the this kind of leveraging and restructuring that these companies are trying to do right now? Well, it helps. There, these guys would have zero percent chance of restructuring and turnaround if they weren't meme stocks. Mm-hmm. They would not be able to raise adequate enough capital. They would not be able to attract enough talent, and any turnaround dreams they had would be burnt uh, through bankruptcy. Um, so. Because turnarounds require a lot of cash, and these are mm-hmm. money-losing businesses. They needed to raise capital. Being a meme stock allowed them to do that. Um, so I think that, that there's no argument. Being a meme stock helped GameStop, helped AMC, um, and helped anybody else that's trying to capitalize on, on the meme frenzy. Awesome. Well, that helped answer some of my questions on that. Um, but we have also have some fan questions that we want to get to today. Um, Randy Castillo asks, hey, Luke, can you comment on Michael Burry predicting 1,800 S&P levels by 2023? Right. Okay. yeah. So I think Michael Burry and I wasn't fully aware of this argument, but I believe that the logical backing for it is the elevated price to sales multiple in the S&P 500 versus history. The problem with that, and I think it's like 1x versus 2x, I think the problem with that is you can't compare valuation multiples in the 2010s and in 2022 to valuation multiples of the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, you know what? Let's do another screen share. (laughs) One more screen share. The reason why you can't do that is if we look at our 10-year, which, by the way, the 10-year Treasury yield, I love what I'm seeing there for bulls. You see Mm -hmm. this? It kind of looks like a cresting top here. Yep. 
looks like looks like we could come on back down that would be very bullish for stocks but anyways mm -hmm. let's look at this all-time timeline mm -hmm. okay let's get rid of the log nature of it so you can actually see the so I believe the Burry analysis, at least the, the little bit I read about, it, and I could be completely wrong if this is the basis for the analysis. Mm -hmm. If so, please correct me. I did a brief reading on this, very brief. But he's comparing the price to sales multiple of the market during this era from let, – let me get a line going here and we can kind of – from here – and let's do that again to, you know, the 90s. Let's go here. Okay. Okay. The problem is that in here, the 10-year Treasury yield was 8, 9%, 10%, 10%, 7%, 6%, 7%, 5%, 6%, 7%, 5%, 6%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 6%, 5%, 6%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 6%, 5%, 6%, 5%, 6%, 
that is true, we'll find out, you know, next week, the week after that, the week after that. Um, and if it's not true, how much further could we fall? I really, I don't see that much more downside, honestly. Things mm-hmm. feel pretty washed out from a valuation perspective. Again, I showed you the charts that mm-hmm. were below historic and lower valuations. The equity risk premium has been blown out. Um, I think we're looking at close to valuation bottoms. So now you got to look at over at the, the earnings estimate side of the equation. And I don't think those come down much. I think they come down a little, but not much. Even so, if they get vastly reduced, normally that's offset by some multiple expansion on the multiple side of things. So I don't think that stocks are going to get crushed from here. I think that we're down, you know, we were down 20% on the S&P. Maybe this tops off at 30. I think maybe another 10 to 15 points is probably a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. But given that the upside potential here is so enormous, especially in some of these stocks where I think they can rally 100%, 200%, 300% in a flash and then proceed to be even bigger winners in the longer term, um, the risk reward profile here is is really attractive in, in my opinion. Um, Barring an economic collapse, which I don't think we're going to get, um, I think that being in stocks is the best move today. Gotcha. Uh, Ronnie Lar asks, uh, hi, guys. Pretty much all the big vertical farming companies I could find are still private. Any interesting leads on publicly listed startups? Thanks. Oh, brother. Why would you have to ask that question? <laughs> um, Yes, there are some publicly traded vertical farming stocks, mm-hmm. and I cannot say their names on this podcast. I, mm-hmm. I apologize. About, we run a research service that people pay for to access our research and, and some of our picks, and uh, we're putting together a very in-depth vertical farming research report right now as we speak. Um, we have some picks in the sector, uh, so I, I can't say their names, but there are a couple of publicly traded ones out there. Not all of them are great. Mm-hmm. Um but there are some fantastic picks in, in the space. Uh, there's definitely ways to play this. And I, I'm sorry, I, I can't say more. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that, I, I'm going to bite my tongue now. That's fine. Uh, well, shifting again, uh, Tina Tran asks, uh, Luke, you suggested to buy a rival stock and it's uh, dropped 90% in one year. Any new suggestions there? Yeah, it has. A rival stock has been crushed over the past uh uh, when did this when did the crash started i don't know the crash started a while back and mm-hmm. it was really high uh above 20 dollars that stock was and now it's 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 down below five it's it's a penny stock is technically um i absolutely love a rival stock at current levels okay um this company and based on all the engineers i've talked to um, people in the in the automotive space, people in the electric vehicle space, people in the autonomous driving space. Um, mm-hmm. They are doing some really, really innovative stuff. It is a, I mean, it is a massive risk. They are trying to reinvent the automotive manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. Take out these giant factories with these huge freaking manufacturing lines mm-hmm. and replace them with tiny factories that are run by robots. They call them robotic cells. And okay. just basically the car goes from cell to cell. It's transported by robots from cell to cell. Once in the cell, robotic arms put together the, the piece of the car that needs to be put together in that in that cell and then a little robot transfers it to the next cell so it's just completely autonomous factory Mm -hmm. that is a huge undertaking yeah if they succeed in that Mm -hmm. if this micro factory can be a proven success then it's going to revolutionize a trillion dollar automotive market Mm -hmm. completely revolutionize the way we make cars at a time when we're trying to make a lot of electric vehicles, yeah. at a time when we're trying to make a lot of autonomous vehicles. So it's a revolutionary, groundbreaking technology at a perfect time. Mm-hmm. Um, the risk is, does the tech work? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to do it? And the stock has been crushed because they basically delayed the validation of that technology. Microfactory was supposed to be up and running back in 21, got delayed, got delayed, got delayed. But microfactories are going to be up and running this year. And the most recent quarterly earnings report said that they actually have completed cars, um, uh, the construction of cars with their um, microfactory. So Mm -hmm. we're going to get more data throughout the year on if these microfactories are legit or not. 
if that data is positive and based on the talent that I've seen the, the company has, um, I think it can be very positive. If that is positive, this stock is, is, is going to fly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. It, it, there's a reason it was a 20 or $30 stock at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Because the technology is truly groundbreaking mm-hmm. and it could easily get right back to there if that technology is validated in the back half of 2022 with these micro factories. Not to mention this company's got a massive order and massive backing from UPS. Mm-hmm. So you know how Rivian has kind of been selected as the Amazon, Amazon's yep. horse in this mm-hmm. race. Um, and the, the Saudis have backed um, – uh, Lucid. Mm-hmm. Well, UPS is backed Arrival. Okay. And they're basically saying that, okay, if Arrival scales and works, and we're going to use their vans and their vans only for our fleet. Mm-hmm. That's massive. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that is the same type of order that Rivian has from Amazon, and everyone likes to hang their hat on that order for Rivian. Why is no one hanging their hat on it for, for Arrival? Uh, liquidity concerns, I think, are overblown. The company has raised a lot of capital. That's another reason the stock has come down. They had to do dilute, dilutive financing, um, so that definitely hurt shareholders. But now they have that financing done. There's a lot of capital on the balance sheet. They're ready to scale. Um, I really, really like a rival stock here. Um, it's not without risk. This thing could go to zero easily. <laughs> but I think it could go to 20 or 30, 40, 50 bucks um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly in the event that these micro factories do work. So I love the risk reward profile there. Treat it like a VC opportunity. Treat it like a startup opportunity. Uh, VC investors take a lot of bets because a lot of times their picks don't work out, but in the, the ones that do work out have enormous returns. Mm-hmm. I like the probability of success here. I like the risk reward profile. Um, I think they could do something real special. So a rival stock, very bullish on it at current levels. Very. Well, great insights for our listeners and HGI investors as always. Uh, Luke, do you have any last words before we wrap this week? S&P 500 is now positive on the day. NASDAQ is up 43 bips and Dow is trying to get back there. We were down big uh, about two hours ago. Mm -hmm. Now we're creeping into positive territory, in positive territory, solidly positive for the NASDAQ. That falls the best week since November 2020 last week. Very strong rallies on Thursday and Friday. Looks good. (laughs) <laughs> Things look good. We'll check in next week. I could yeah. be completely wrong, look like an absolute idiot, but that's what you do in this line of work. Yeah, you got it. You got to take shots. If you don't yeah. take shots, you don't make money. So uh, we're taking some shots. We like what we're seeing. Um, we're pretty positive, and especially so on hyper growth stocks that have been washed out mm-hmm. that have very bright futures where the insiders are buying. Yeah, give me that four prong attack, mm-hmm. and I'll give you. You know, that's a stock I want to own right now. SoFi, for example. <laughs> You're back. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comment section. We love to hear your feedback on topics you want to discover and also to see if we can ever answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all.